turn to Paul's letter to Timothy for a section that is so important to all that the Bible says about prophecy. We use the terminology of the King James Version when Paul says, in those days, those perilous days, there will be people without natural affection. Without self-control, the new King James says. Another translation says they will think nothing of immorality. Another says profligates, which means very wicked, shamelessly bad, recklessly extravagant. Using the wording of the New King James, which we use for our reading here at Capital Christian Center, we have a much broader view of what the Holy Spirit is wanting us to understand about prophecy in the end time than is normal. Because when I put a sermon title like this in the paper, immediately people think of basically one thing, homosexuality. And that is involved. But it's broader than that. When you consider the translation without self-control. There are people in our midst today who have tremendous anger. And it's out of control. There is wife beating and child abuse. And that is in keeping with this prophetic utterance of Paul without self-control. There are people who drink in excess, smoke, to the detriment of their health without control. I watched a fellow the other day. I'll tell you when you're out and around. He lit one off of the other. Before one was totally out, he had another two-inch cancer stick in his mouth. And I thought, without self-control. There are people who eat too much. There are women who shop too much. <laughs> I heard one brave fellow say a weak amen over there. There's a lot of violation. There are people who go too much. They're just always on the move. To sit down and meditate, impossible. Without self-control. We look around and see this so prevalent today in our society. Well, let's go back to Genesis for a moment where Lot lived. Lot lived in Sodom, Genesis 19, verse 5. In Sodom, the chief sin was what has become known as sodomy. It was a homosexual capital. The dictionary defines sodomy as unnatural sexual intercourse a sin that is flourishing in America and in other parts of the world. The American Psychiatric Association has dropped homosexuality from its list of mental disorders. 
Numbers of states have repealed all restrictions on sexual acts between consenting adults. Liberal anti-discrimination ordinances are being passed everywhere. Years ago, if you will recall, the San Francisco School Board voted to change its family life curriculum to reflect homosexual lifestyle. And that has spread to other parts of the country. I must say today that we've got to remember something lest we fall into the trap of boards and committees and city councils and etc in other places. And it's this. Sexual perversion is an abomination in God's sight. And we've got to remember it because all of the media seems to tell us otherwise. I am shocked and appalled at what is being shown on normal television stations. It is incredible, unbelievable, that we as American citizens would allow it to happen. But it is happening and will get worse unless we let our voices be heard. Romans 1.27 still reads, And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in their own persons the due penalty for their error. That's the Revised Standard Version. The last part of that must be remembered receiving in their own persons the due penalty for their error. It comes under the judgment of God all lack of self-control. Whether it be sexual or otherwise, it falls under the judging, judgment of God. We receive it into our own bodies. There have been rings of homosexuals found in the military, in government places, schools, name it. The first gay Bob dolls were introduced back in 1978. Gay Bob came packaged in a closet with wardrobe, clothes catalog, songbook, and a book about his life. And the book said, hello boys and girls. Gay people use the expression coming out of the closet to explain the fact that they're no longer ashamed of being gay. And parents bought those dolls by the thousands, gave them to their kids. Gay Bob. When uh, most of us were growing up, I guess we never thought about that possibility. But it is now common and around us in many, many ways, and we have to look into the pages of God's book to find some help. Now, with that as a background, let me share with you our problem, and it's kind of twofold. Our problem is this. We're committed to truth, and we're committed to love, both. Some in our world today are committed to truth alone, and they're called legalists. 
Now, this group rejects homosexuals, rejects anybody that is out of control. It is kind of like a special brand of sin beyond hope. And they're on television stations, and they're in print, and it says the wrong thing to the world out there that needs help. Legalists, they're like the Pharisees in Jesus' time. And it's a bad scene. Now, our problem is that we believe in truth, but we also believe in love. Now, if you just take the love, you've got a problem because it's possible to accept and approve the lifestyle that the Bible condemns. And there is that group around today. All live and let live, they say. If that's what they want to do, why, we love them and we... Just let them do whatever. We'll never say anything. We'll never do anything. Now, those are the two poles. And that creates a problem. Where should we be? Somewhere in between those two extremes lies the true Christian position as we look at prophecy. And I'm helped as I examine the way Jesus treated the woman taken in the very act of adultery, out of control, without proper affection, profligate. Jesus treated her as a person. He did not hesitate, however, to speak the truth to her. He said, it's sin. And he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. He defended her against her hypocritical accusers. But then he said to her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go thy way and sin no more. That helps me to see what the church needs to see in regard to this Tremendous group out here, out of control, whether it be alcohol, sex, or whatever. Somewhere in between truth and love is the position of the church of Jesus Christ, which says we will not compromise on what we believe, but we're going to love you, and we're in a position to help you. Now, let me illustrate it this way. I hate communism, but I must love the communist. I hate homosexuality, but I must love the homosexual. Does that help? That's where Jesus is in this passage of Scripture. He did not say to that woman, what you've done is all right. But neither did he so drive her from him that she could not hear him say, you can go and sin no more. 
that it's possible for your life to be totally changed if you'll just let me change you. Everywhere homosexuality is directly commented on in Scripture, it is condemned. It is not presented as normal, good, and right. It's everywhere condemned and nowhere blessed in the Bible. The word of 1 Corinthians 6 is, do not be deceived. And a long list of consenting adults shall not inherit the kingdom of God, including homosexuals, follows. But not only homosexuals. Liars, murderers, and so on. Do not be deceived. The Bible says. So that's first our problem, truth and love, to find that medium that God can use to touch the world that is out of control. Now my second problem is that I'm committed to the Bible. Absolutely, totally, emphatically, without hesitation, I am committed to the Bible. Now, because of that, my homosexual friends will say, you discriminate against me, and I must admit they're right. That's my problem, because I'm committed to the book. Not because there is an absence of laws to protect them, but because most of us deep inside are repulsed by homosexuality and have the gut-level feeling that it's not right. 90% of Americans believe that, according to the statisticians, statisticians. And no amount of legislation will ever change that. I don't care how many laws they pass, it's not going to change that fact. It will not change it. So they say we discriminate against them, but they have to understand the problem. We are committed to the Bible. The Bible says they are without natural affection. They are without self-control. It is not like the black man who simply is black and should not be discriminated against because of what he is. Homosexuality is doing, and that's different than being. Totally different ball game. So we have to come to the Bible for some help to understand the prophecy and what to do in this end time. So let me help you, if I may. The Bible shows us that there is apostasy at all levels of history. For example, the angels became apostate. A group of them fell with Satan, Lucifer, the archangel. Jude, verse 6 says, they kept not their first estate. John 8, 44 says, they abode not in the truth. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15 says, they were cast down. Ezekiel 28, 14 and 15 says, iniquity was found in them. They became apostate, and with Lucifer as their head, they were kicked out of heaven. And Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 41, there is no remedy for these angels who became apostate. Hell, he said, was prepared for the devil and his angels. So 
They're in a corner and they can't get out. They made a choice and they're forever condemned because of their apostasy. They kept not their first estate. They fell. Well, then as you move from that, you come to Adam in Genesis 3. Adam became an apostate by his own sin. It was not God's intent. God gave him a companion fit for him, gave him an environment fit for him, gave him everything he needed. But as he fell by his own choice, he could and did propagate only that which was after his nature to such a degree that by the time you get to the sixth chapter of Genesis, God destroys the world in Noah's day. Further, what will sin do? The first born into the world by natural birth proved to be a murderer. That was not God's intention. That was not God's desire. God made man to fellowship with him, not to kill each other. God made man to propagate the earth, to be blessed by all of the beautiful creation that God had placed here. But man did what? He fell. He became an apostate. Sin entered the world. Death by sin. Death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. That's the trend. Then I moved to the nation of Israel. God wanted a nation that would propagate a righteous seed. He chose Israel. Abraham became the father of many nations. But Israel continually fell from the grace of God. Over and over again. Though she was blessed like no other nation. Though she had been given the commandments and the law. She continually fell. By choice, she was crushed and scattered throughout the world. That wasn't God's desire. God's desire was given to Abraham. Look at the stars, Abraham. I'm going to bless you with a seed like those stars in number. And you're going to bless the world. In you will all the nations of the earth be blessed. That was God's heart. Not to scatter her. Not to crush her. But because of apostasy, that's what happened. She went off into Babylonian captivity. From 400 years before Christ, Israel was not free from foreign domination until the new state was created in 1948. You see, hundreds of years displaced, driven because of sin because of unbelief, because of apostasy. Before Israel again became a state recognized by the nations of the world, Jerusalem had been besieged approximately 50 times. Destroyed, risen again, destroyed, risen again. Amos 4 reminds us, Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Amos is simply saying what God said to him. Because these people harden their hearts, stiffen their neck, go their own way, don't pay attention to my commandments, then they're going to have to pay the consequences. And the persecution of the Jew relates to Israel's apostasy. 
Was God smiling when six million Jews died in the gas ovens of Germany? Absolutely not. It broke his heart. And it did not have to be. But Israel became apostate. And Israel fell from its position because of its apostasy and unwillingness to recognize the hand of God. Then you come to the fourth level of apostasy, and that's Christendom. The Roman church was quite pure and scriptural in the beginning. The Protestant church has followed the pattern of apostasy referred to in the second letter of Paul to Timothy, verses 4 and 5. We did not read them earlier, but look at them. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power. You see, there you find the church, or Christendom, apostate, falling away. God didn't want it that way. God never intended that his church become a weak, insipid thing, just taking everything that comes along, and never standing against anything. He didn't want a church like that. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it's obvious as you look around that not every church is the Lord's church. Some of them are man's church, and they're falling in ruin. And they will come under the judgment of God, for in every case of apostasy, the falling away is followed by God's judgment. So now we come up to this present moment. 25 years or so ago, Hugh Hefner began teaching a heathenistic, which means self-pleasure philosophy. We call it the playboy philosophy. We have been taught that a person is free to make any moral judgment wanted. Do with the body whatever is pleasurable. Whatever feels good, do it. Now, the problem with that is it sounds so logical. Doesn't it? Whatever feels good, do it. Couldn't be wrong. That's the sinister aspect of this whole thing of apostasy. Going clear back to Lucifer. I just want to be equal with God. Sounds good, doesn't it? Going back to Adam. Well, that fruit looks okay to me. What does God know that I don't know? Israel. We are the seed of Abraham. Surely we cannot fail. We will do what we choose. God says don't take heathen wives. We like the looks of them. And the church. In order to get more people in, we'll do it the way the world does it. We'll compromise. We won't talk about these things in the church. We will talk about love. And when we come to the pulpit, we will change our voice. Oh, I hate that. 
They talk one way until they step up in the holy place, and then it's in centurion tones. God is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. I could stand that about two minutes. It's so phony. But that's the way it works. It seems so logical. And we put on beautiful robes to make it look more holy. When under the robe is uncleanness and unrighteousness and ungodliness of all kinds. You can't cover it up and walk into the holy place and expect God to turn his back and forget it. It's apostasy. But it all sounds logical, unless, unless your mind has been Christianized. And when your mind becomes Christianized, suddenly you're in a different arena. God calls sexual behavior outside of marriage sin, and your Christianized mind remembers James 1.15. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth what? Death. D-E-A-T-H. Death. Sin, when it is finished, when the apostasy is completed, it is death. No matter how logical, no matter how easy, it is death. There is our problem. We are committed to the Bible. Therefore, I had to set up an appointment with our mayor. And I sat with our mayor and I said, Mayor, please. You have stated your favor of a certain law in our community. I am here to tell you that if that law is passed, I cannot abide by it. I will have to break that law. And I don't think you want me to be that kind of a citizen, but you're forcing me into a corner. I can do nothing but break it if you insist that that law become a part of our books. I cannot help it. We cannot hire certain people in this institution because we're committed to the Bible and we cannot change that. And we will not. I will go to jail first. But I have a feeling 5,000 people will be there with me and I don't think they can handle that. I cannot change what this book says, and I'm committed to it. That's my problem. What will you trust? The playboy philosophy or God's book? That's the question of the prophecy. God gives it to us in advance. So we'll know it's going to be a part of this time, and then he expects us to do something about it. Now, what can we do? A minister said, 
God can change my heart, but he can't change my mind. I can change my mind, but I can't change my heart. But if I will change my mind, God will change my heart. Well, that's good. I wish I'd thought of that. God can change my heart, but he can't change my mind. I can change my mind, but I can't change my heart. But if I will change my mind, God will change my heart. And that's true. So we as a church have an opportunity with this prophecy in our hand. We have the opportunity to say to people, hey, you don't have to stay where you are. No matter what some psychologist says, it is not something of birth that you are involved in. None of this is of birth. All of the self-control act is brought on by apostasy, and you can break it. You can break the mold. You can get out of it. You're not in a corner to stay. Jesus Christ came to set men free. That's the message of the church. And if you will change your mind, God will change your heart. And that's where it all flows from. Praise God. So, we as a church are doing some practical things, trying to. On our board in the office, it's not a blackboard, it's a whiteboard. It used to be a blackboard, and I missed the fingernails on the board. kind of gave you a high when that fingernail went through the... Woo! Don't have blackboards anymore. They're whiteboards now, and use these fancy little pens and put grease on there. And on that grease board... That doesn't even sound good, does it? But on that grease board in there, every day there's a name of a local church and a local pastor. And the staff gathers to pray for that church and that pastor, and we send them a note saying, we prayed for you this morning. God bless you, and may Jesus Christ be known through you. We put the name of a missionary there and his family. We pray for them, send a note, say, we prayed for you today. Well, what kind of names are on that board? All kinds. Roman Catholic churches. Episcopal churches. All kinds of churches. Capital Christian Center is saying, we believe in the truth. We believe in love. Somewhere in between there, we take our stand. But we're not the only people in this community. And we want you to know we love you and we're praying for you. And we ask God to make himself real to you and through you. We are not isolationists. And we are saying to anybody with any lifestyle that is out of control, we care, and there's ministry here, and there's deliverance here. We believe in the laying on of hands for deliverance. We believe in intercessory prayer for the deliverance of alcohol or tobacco addiction or drug addiction or marriage difficulty or a wife beater or a homosexual or whatever because in Jesus Christ there is all that man needs. If he'll change his mind, God can change the heart. That's where we are, folks. And that's where we will stand. All deviation is an abomination to God. His purity and holiness are offended by such behavior. But he has not come to condemn us, but rather to save us. 
is, is the story of the lost sheep that the shepherd went out to find. And he's still in that kind of business. There is a book, and I'll hurry to a conclusion. There is a book called 2,201 Fascinating Facts. Now, some of those facts are absolutely useless, yet they're in print, 2,201 Fascinating Facts. Example, deer have no gallbladders. Now, that really touches me. Now, here's one that certainly many people would be greatly interested in. Crocodiles can run rather rapidly over land, but they can't change direction very fast. So if chased by one, it's best to run in a zigzag pattern. Aren't you glad to know that? Probably everybody here is going to be chased by a crocodile sometime or another. How about this one? Every hour, 12,500 puppies are born in the United States. Wow! I never knew that. That really grabs me. The Washington Monument sinks six inches every year. Incredible. The Mona Lisa has no eyebrows. A sneeze can travel as fast as 100 miles per hour. Wow. 2,201 fascinating facts. <laughs> you say, what in the world has that got to do with your sermon? A whole lot. Because not too many of those are really all that important. But I hold in my hand a book of fascinating facts. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's fascinating. This fascinating book filled with facts says to me, Glenn Cole, you can beat the prophecy. You can be redeemed, saved, changed. You don't need to go downward into apostasy you can reach upward and take a hold of God's hand. That's important. And I hold in my hand the book of fascinating facts that says you can beat the prophecy. You can be God's child. You can spend eternity with him, pure, whole, redeemed. You can live the rest of your life without guilt. You can go the rest of the way with a sane mind and a pure heart. If you will say, God, I changed my mind, you changed my heart. That's what the book says. Fascinating. Fascinating. All you have to do is send God a signal. I was reading about the fellow in Colorado Mountains that got caught in a storm in his car. Couldn't go any further. He knew he would die. Somebody didn't find him soon. So he thought, I'm going to flash my lights like Morse code. Three flashes. Then I'll wait three flashes. I'll wait three flashes. Up overhead was an airplane. 
There was a deputy sheriff in that airplane who was just looking out the window casually and suddenly thought he saw three flashes. He said to the pilot, go around again. He said, I think I saw some Morse code. Pilot came around again. Sure enough, there was three flashes. Pause, three flashes. He said, somebody's in distress. They radioed down to the rescue station and they came and got the man or he would have been dead by morning in the freezing cold. But he sent a signal. And that signal was seen from above. And he was spared the agony of that death. Well, my friend, God wants you to send the signal. And if you'll send the signal his way, Calvary says there's not a thing he will not do to change you, to redeem you, to help you beat the prophecy. Not to look at things as hopeless. Other men see only a hopeless end. But the Christian rejoices in the endless hope. All in your view. And I ask you as this service comes to a close, as we begin this holy season of the year, to send the signal to God and say by that signal, I cannot live without you and I would not dare to go another day without your cleansing, your deliverance, your touch. I receive you now. I'm out of control. I'm drinking too much. My life is filled with lust that I can't control. Jesus, I need you. I have tendencies that scare me. Jesus, I need you. Send him a signal, friend. For in the last days, they will be without self-control. That means the devil is a roaring lion, is going out seeking to devour you with excess, with the philosophy of Hugh Hefner. But you can break that if you'll send God a signal and make up your mind to let this eternal book become a part of your life and the eternal Christ. Write your name down in heaven's book. It can happen and you'll have a wonderful eternity with endless hope. Will you do it? Bow your heads in prayer, please. While your heads are bowing, why do we ask people to bow their heads? There's no mystery connected with it. It's just that with our eyes closed, we have a tendency to think a little bit better. I don't want you to be distracted by anything. I want you to feel the impact of this word from God to your heart. In the last days, men will be without self-control, without natural affection. They'll be wife beaters, child abusers, drunkards, murderers, thieves, homosexuals, all of it Jesus died for. One is not any worse than the other. They're all sin and Jesus died for them all. Jesus Christ awaits the opportunity to minister healing, deliverance. Let him do it. Lord, reach down now and touch men and women, young people, boys and girls in this sanctuary who need your delivering touch. Come in mercy and grace, come in love, but come in power or it won't happen, Lord. Come in power. Our minds are saying, I want to change. 
But we know that only God can change our heart. So come and do it. Take out the old, put in the new. We don't want to become apostates. We want to rise to meet the Lord and be forever with him. Thank you, Jesus, for being so patient with us. You care about us. May people come and make a choice that will last forever. Let's stand together reverently in God's presence, please. I just want to give you an opportunity now to move to the altar. Let's please hold steady and give people that chance. As we stand, it's easy to get into the aisle. I'm going to ask our workers to be here. I'm just asking if your life is out of control. There are areas of your life that Jesus Christ must touch. You're seeing them as being weights around your neck. I want you to come. There's deliverance available. And I ask you to make a decision. Will you make it? So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Let's sing that. Till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross. That's what we need to do. Come, take that signal today.